Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Big Apple on Broad, a weekly podcast about New York and Philadelphia professional sports, keeping you up to date on everything there is to know about your favorite teams. Now, here are your hosts, Danny Ryan and Connor Brown. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You're tuned in to the second ever episode of Big Apple on Broad, a podcast presented to you by Rowan Radio Sports with your hosts, Connor Brown and Danny Ryan. As we're joined by a very special guest today, Aaron Hook from the Rowan Radio Sports Department and New York Yankees slash New York Jets fan. And we obviously know the New York Knicks, but I don't know if we should be flexing that at the moment. (laughs) We'll get into that a little bit later. The, The Sixers aren't any better, but Aaron... Thank you for joining us here today for the second episode of Big Apple on Broad. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, I, I think this is kind of cool for me because I remember um, I'm a junior now, and in my freshman year, coming down here, uh, I live a couple hours away, so um, closer to New York City. So getting acclimated to all the Philly culture down here and what the you know um, the fandom is like for each of the teams, it's been kind of cool to see like you know what kind of unique you know, things go into rooting for each Philly team. Um, And obviously now we're in a period where the Philly teams are having a lot of success, which for a while was not the case. So um, it's kind of cool to be in the middle of this all right now. So, you know, I have to agree with you, like, you know, being up more North uh, in central Jersey, you got a little bit of the taste of some Philadelphia fans. If you cross Delaware, uh, you know, over in the Bucks County region, uh, you had some like, you know, Philadelphia fans over there. But I'd say it's mostly, you know, New York, uh, predominantly New York Giants, uh, Yankees, Knicks, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah, no, definitely, like, getting down here at Rowan, you, you get a taste of, of, of Philly fans, and you learn how to deal with them, you know, in certain aspects. You See, know? And, and that's what I mean, too. Like, at first, I was just like, oh, I couldn't stand any oh, yeah. of them. I was like, oh, man, the, yeah. these Phillies fans, these Eagles fans. But, <laughs> honestly, you know, I've given it some thought. I really don't have anything against those two teams. The only team I really, um, you know, can't stand to be completely honest is the Sitzers, you know, but that's besides the point. Um, Cause the Nets play them four times a year. You know, the Jets, we usually don't play the Eagles. We did last year. They beat us. We've never beaten them by the way. And then the Yankees and Phillies don't usually match up too often. So, you know, it was cool to see the Phillies make a, a world series run this year also to kind of see it captivate the city. And so, yeah, I think like Connor, it's just kind of cool to be at, uh, in a point now where Philly is having a lot of success, obviously, in all three sports that we're going to talk about today. And I think New York, it's an interesting situation as well. You know, New York football is really kind of at least on the come up uh, for the first time in a while. Well, that brings us perfectly into our first segment of today's episode. We're going to go into the NFL and recap last Sunday's games. And we'll start off with the Washington Commanders versus the New York Football Giants, a 20-20 to tie in overtime. It was a Really interesting game to watch. I was asleep towards the fourth quarter. Not Honestly, not because of the game. I was just dogged. I was tired. I wasn't even watching the Eagles. Um, but then I woke up. It was in overtime, going, coming down to the wire, and then Graham Gano had a nice chance to give him the win. It just didn't go the, the Giants' way. And Connor and I talked about this. The Giants went from facing the Commanders. The Commanders then go on a bye week. The Giants have the privilege of facing the 11-1 Philadelphia Eagles before they face the Washington Commanders again. It's just... A brutal situation to be a, a New York football giant 
at this point with how the schedule is set up. And I don't honestly think, and life's not fair, but I don't honestly think it's quite fair with the playoff race they're in quite, uh, right now as well. So I wanted to pick your brain, Aaron, before I throw it to Connor, who is a Giants fan, just about that three-game stretch for the Giants and their tie last week well, against the Commanders. Well, yeah, and then they'll you know, add the Vikings after that. So it's yeah. like, it doesn't get any easier than uh, they host the Colts and then they go, obviously, to Philly to end the year. Um, so, you know, the Giants and... Obviously, I, I want to hear what Connor has to say because, you know, he's more in tune with, with the Giants than I am. Um, you know, usually in between commercials with the Jets, I'll, I'll flip the Giants on sometimes. And uh, I usually see, like, a lot of the media stuff after the game. But, I, you know, I think for them, obviously the tie on Sunday really, you know, you could tell by the reaction of the players and, and Dayball that, it really did feel like a loss because it's a home game division rival coming in in the midst of a playoff race. And, you know, after 60 minutes, you can't decide a winner. Well, really 70 minutes with the, with the overtime, obviously. So, you know, for the giants, I, I think, you know, Saquon early in the year was really kind of turning a lot of heads. Um, you know, I think at this point he may have, he's may maybe have slowed down a little bit. And obviously the receiving situation for the Giants is still their number one issue. And all the Odell talk recently, I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, it, it's just tough right now for them playing all these, these teams that offensively are going to be able to either play with them or are just flat out better. Like Philly this week, Minnesota in two weeks. So it, it, it's tough right now for the Giants uh, especially when, you know, defensively, I think there's been a little bit of some ups and downs there too. So, you know, we'll see how they fare against Philly this week at home. By far, I think their biggest game of the, the year so far. Yeah, I mean, the Giants right now in those secondaries really were, you know, they're, they're hurting right now. Um, uh, we saw them on Thanksgiving, you know, really get lit up in the secondary. Um, you know, Holmes had a, a, a terrible Thursday Thursday night game, and then coming into this one, you're still without a Dory Jackson, and it's it showed, especially in the fourth quarter, when you know the Giants, who made their mark earlier on in the season, coming back in the fourth quarter or in the second half, doing things to you know stay close in games and then take the lead late and then hold on to that lead. Uh, that's something that they did not do last Sunday, as you know Tyler Heineke, who looked dead. For most of the game, I mean, especially after the first quarter, I mean, the, the Giants were doing a good job with their pass rush here and there, uh, putting a lot of pressure on, on Heineke. He, he leads to some, like, game-winning drive, which ends with Jahan Dotson hitting a spin move that, that left one of the Giants players, you know, flying out of their cleats to, uh, to tie it up and, and send it into overtime. So, I mean, it was a really disappointing loss. You look at how Daniel Jones played. I mean, when you play a full overtime period and you only pass for 200 yards total, I, I think that's a lot more telling on, on their current receiving situation rather than just him because he also he had a nice day running. He had 71 yards. He did have a fumble, though, early on, which is something that, you know, Daniel Jones wasn't doing in the beginning of the season. He's done it the past couple weeks. Saquon Barkley, like Aaron touched on before, has totally dropped off. I mean, the last three yeah. games, he, he, has, he hasn't eclipsed. Uh, 100 yards and in this one he, he was averaging 3.5 yards a carry to me he's he's looking like last year's Saquon out there right now kind of that 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 scared not even I don't even want to call it scared because it's not like 
it looks like he's kind of running scared, but it's more just hesitating. It's not that that burst that we saw in the beginning of the season. And then my man Darius Slayton, I mean, he's just been a, outstanding. Well, he has, but he still has the worst drop rate in the NFL. Yeah. So it's you, you want to root for him because he he did such a good job of being a a solid teammate of sticking this one, you know, sticking it out in preseason when it looked like they were trying to trade him and all that. But yeah, I mean, he he proved himself. The receiving core just got kept on getting thinner and thinner for the Giants. And he's made a big couple plays the last couple of weeks. But in that game, he had a chance to really, you know, put it on ice at, at the end of the fourth quarter, get Graham Gano into field goal position to kick that game winner. But he drops it. And I mean, that is, I don't understand how you drop a ball like that. It's not, he didn't have any defender around him. He had it in his hands. Like he caught it perfectly with his hands. Like they teach you, you form the triangle with your two hands and he held, he reeled it in, but then on the transfer way down, he, he just, he drops it. So the Giants have been shooting themselves in the foot the past couple of weeks, and they're a team that cannot do that. They're not talented enough, and these are the results you're going to get if you make those mistakes. As Aaron mentioned, the Giants facing the Eagles this week at 1 p.m. in the Meadowlands with Saquon Barkley questionable for Sunday's game with a neck injury. Matt Breida, if Saquon's out, projected to get the start, and... I want to get your initial thoughts on that, a report that came out a little bit earlier today. That uh, yeah, I, I see. I, I think he might be a little nicked up. I, I don't know if, there, if there's a lot of um, truth to it, him actually being questionable. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's just kind of um, a, a way to kind of give the Giants an advantage right now. I saw some videos from him at, at practice earlier today. He, he was out there running fine. Okay. I mean, you, you, you never know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, without Saquon, it's going to be a lot harder, even though he really hasn't produced over the past couple of weeks. Because, I mean, one of the reasons why he's been struggling is not just because him hesitating when he runs. It's also a lot of teams have been keying on him because he, he had that stellar start to the season. We saw the the, the flashes of the dude back at, at Penn State, who's just another worldly human being. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't have Saquon going up against the Eagles, who have shown they can be beatable, yeah, when you can run the ball on them, mm-hmm. but it seems a- after that Commanders loss that they've really figured out how to you know stuff the run. They- they've done a good job the past couple of weeks of doing that. You know, last week with Henry, we'll talk about the Eagles more uh, later on. But yeah, I mean, you need all the hands on deck when you're going against a team that's eleven and one. Without Saquon, I think it's honestly going to be pretty tough. I mean, I hope he plays just from a competition standpoint because the Eagles, as you mentioned, they've proved they're beatable, especially against a team like the Commanders, who, let's be honest, they're not bad, but they're not good. And so you lose to that team, and you lose because they literally took everything that you were giving them. Taylor Heineke did what he had to do in that game to beat the Eagles. The Eagles played sloppy, and now they come into this game against the Giants against a quarterback that's going to run a lot. And no matter what defense the Eagles have out there, it always seems they can't stop the quarterback run if the offense has other aspects to it. So if you keep Saquon there and you have him running the ball at a steady rate, you know, like you guys mentioned, he hasn't been himself the past few weeks as he was in the beginning of the year. But if you can have that type of running platoon, I guess I would say, with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, you can keep Philadelphia and the Eagles on their feet and on their toes. But it's just a matter of, is that running game going to be there for Saquon if he plays I'm scared about Daniel Jones' running ability on Sunday, to be quite honest with you, because unless they put N'Kobe Dean out there, who looked Mm -hmm. good in the Titans game at the end, by the way, I don't think they're going to have a great job or do a great job at stopping him via the ground. But you mentioned we'll talk about the Eagles a little bit more, so I want to talk about their win against the Titans just last week. Eagles defeat the Titans 35-10 at home in A.J. Brown's revenge game. 
and uh, subsequently getting the GM of the Titans fired in that game as well. I, I've, I've never seen that before. That, that's crazy, man. Just, Unbelievable. Could you imagine Vrabel like coming into like your office, especially after you, you saw? Did you see the video of Vrabel's reaction when, when they traded AJ Brown? Yeah, he kind of like went in the corner for a second and just thought. <laughs> you, could, you could tell he wanted to punch a hole through the wall. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he got the the pleasures of. Uh, uh, of having the duty to to fire uh, their GM. Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm sure he was definitely in the ear of the owner there for a little bit. Um, but what was it? The day after on Monday he was fired, or Tuesday at least. I mean, it's a terrible look, especially the game that AJ Brown had. You know, if you're John Robinson, you were you were probably sweating that one out from the beginning and by halftime you you probably were looking for real estate elsewhere. When Traylon Burks got the touchdown too, he's like, "Yes, my move's paying off." out for the rest of the game with an injury. And then it was like, oh, dear Lord. By by the way, the only touchdown of the game for the Titans came in that Traylon Burks touchdown. So I don't know where Ryan Tannehill pulled that out of. I don't know where uh, Traylon Burks finally woke up in the end zone over there. But, yeah, not a great look for the former Titans GM and John Robinson. He was fired. Uh, Aaron, I want to talk to you about that just a little bit more. A.J. Brown's revenge game, he goes absolutely berserk. He erupts for eight receptions, 119 yards, two touchdowns, and a 35-10 to victory over the Tennessee Titans. And one stat line that doesn't really get a lot of notice, Devonta Smith, five receptions, 102 yards, one touchdown. He was wide open that entire game. What was your initial reaction watching that live? I, I think it's time that we um, kind of take the Howie Roseman back-to-back misses on the receiver pits. I honestly think he's done more than enough, you know, specifically with Denon Brown and Devontae Smith to make up for it. And I know that Jefferson is just unbelievable, but I mean, these two guys are so good together because A.J. Brown is like your perfect after the catch type of guy. He's big, physical. He's going to run through you after the catch. You can't bring him down on first try. He's so good at the point of, of, of the catch. So, I mean, A.J. Brown's playing like a top five wide receiver right now pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, you guys he's, really have two ones. He's like stellar, one a, yeah. One B. yeah. And then, like, again, you, you even said it, Danny. Like, Devontae Smith, he goes for five, 102 and a touchdown, and, like, no one's talking about no. it. So, I mean, he is just electric on the other side with his, his size and his unbelievable speed. So like, you know, they're perfect compliments to each other, I think. And you got to try to Jalen hurts for, you know, really building chemistry with both of them to the point where you could argue it's the best, you know, receiver, uh, quarterback kind of connection, either Brown and hurts or, uh, Devonte Smith and hurts. Maybe not the best in the league, but up there. Yeah, definitely, it's definitely for sure. up there. I, I see a lot of comparisons, and I'm not quite sure that I take it over, you know, the Allen Diggs. Right, that yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And so it's up there. I, I'd probably say easily top five, but it's it's so key for Devonta to step up like this as well with Dallas is out, Dallas Goddard, because yeah. you're relying on the likes of Jack Stoll to try and produce out there. And while he had a decent game last week, that's a big loss. I mean, he was one of the top tight ends in the league, not only what he can do in the passing game, but blocking Bar him. him. He's a huge guy over there. Yeah. And so to have him step up like that, it was huge. And I don't want to harp on it too much, um, but, another, you know, 35-10 to 10 victory over the Tennessee Titans. Well, and then also, I think, like, you know, look at the Eagles last year. I mean, the run game was what they leaned on so heavily, right? And then yeah. they were able to get Smith involved, but now you bring in Brown, and it's just like you add an entire new element to the offense. And, you know, with the development of Hurts as well as a passer, it's almost like it's just perfect timing. Everything has kind of come together um, 
It's one of the best development stories. Like, yeah, ever. really. I looked how quickly they've the turned it around. Like in two years, yeah. two years ago, Hertz was playing the final week of the year against you know Green Bay or at the end of the year, and you had the um, the thing against the Giants. So like yeah. mm-hmm. that was only two years ago, and now they're the best team in the NFL. So yeah, I mean, it just even dating back to college. I mean, man, he looked like a running back at yes, times out, yeah. and mm-hmm. then he goes, he comes back in the SEC championship right. game, looks even better, yeah. and then you know, Oklahoma and the rest is history with the, with the Eagles. Now I've talked about it on offsides and such before, but when the Philadelphia Eagles drafted hurts, every reaction was you can't hate it because of what he proved in college, but why? And Howie Roseman knew why. And to your point earlier, he has recovered swiftly from that kind of retooling year in which they went with the four wins. Wentz was on his way out. You know, he ended up going to Indianapolis He's made up for those bad mistakes, not only in fleecing the New Orleans Saints for C.J. Gardner-Johnson and what's going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft this year, along with drafting Devonta Smith, like you said, getting A.J. Brown this past year's draft. He was under a lot of heat after that Super Bowl year, which is crazy to even say. I, I wasn't as critical, but the draft picks really was it was getting out of hand, and he's recovered uh, very nicely. So, yeah, definitely a nice recovery story for the Eagles and Hertz has definitely developed as the quarterback they hoped he would develop into when drafting him. But I want to move on to your favorite team, Aaron Hook, in the New York Jets. They lose 27-22 last Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. Mike White didn't play awful, but obviously didn't play the way he did against the Bears in his first start. And he faces a team that had his number in the only start he had against them. Worst career start for Mike White with four interceptions. First off, take me through their loss against the Vikings and what to expect this weekend against the Bills. Yeah, I mean, it's not too often you come out of a loss optimistic, but it's it's hard not to be, honestly. I liked what I saw. Now, defensively, the Jets, it was one of their worst performances in a while. Um, But you know what? I mean, it's an off week for a defense that has been arguably the best in the league. Minnesota's offense is insane. And Justin Jefferson, you know, I mean, again, I've talked about him countless times on, on offsides and on other podcasts third and long. Uh, I love him. Um, one of my favorite players in the league. Awesome to watch. But, man, does he get every call. I mean, they just, like, every little contact with Sauce, a flag was coming out. So it, it's hard to stop that and with how good they are. Um, you know, Minnesota's offense is, is fantastic. Ton of weapons. So I, I did the defense a, a little bit of slot there. And, you know, I, I think the Jets have just kind of figured out that Mike White has the locker room. And I think that's something moving forward that you can lean on if you're Salah and the coaching staff and say, look, this defense is good enough to get us to the point where we can legitimately compete in the AFC. Yeah. Um, and on a week-to-week basis, if Mike White can t- continue to play within the flow of the offense. And, you know, he even said it. He likes to play quarterback like a point guard. He likes to spread the ball out, get it into different playmakers' hands, and he's done a fantastic job of that. Like you said, not not as well as he did against the Bears, but I, I thought he made some huge throws down the stretch, and the Jets just couldn't get it done in the red zone, which is obviously an indictment on, on Mike White. Um, you know, you got to convert down there. Berrios has the drop in the end zone on fourth down, which he should have caught. So you, Mike White probably should have thrown the game when he touched down pass, but it happened. Uh, Barrios couldn't catch it. So, uh, yeah, if the Jets had a couple things go their way in this one, they're looking at eight and four. But uh, now they've all of a sudden got a rebound and turn around and 
go to uh, Orchard Park and take down the Bills. So and they have not had a lot of success up there. Mike White does do a really good job of, um, you know, getting the ball to multiple players. Yeah. I'm looking right now at the box score from last Sunday. Yeah. Um, at least four players had five receptions. Well, look at the Bears game, Connor. Look at that game. Uh, the way he got the ball in a different guy's hands there. So, in that one, Garrett Wilson, five catches. Elijah Moore, two catches. Conklin, three. Bam Knight, three. Uzama, three. Two for Michael Carter. A catch for Mims, Corey Davis. So, like, everyone's getting involved. And that's what the Jets' offense is. And that's what like Michael Ford to wants to too, run. Because they have a lot of talent. Yeah. So, it's... As, That's as what they thought Zach Wilson keep, yeah. was going to be. Yeah. Just a guy with the raw tools that if you put playmakers around him, he'll put it all together. Obviously, he hasn't done that. Mike White has stepped in. Obviously, he's not the athlete that Zach Wilson is, or he doesn't have the, the cannon of an arm. But he's efficient within this offense, and that's all you can really ask for at this point. It's funny how it works sometimes like that, where you have a guy who looks like he has this this otherworldly, you know, arm talent, yeah. arm strength. The pro day that tricked us all. But then you get the guy who was, I can't remember, was Mike, Mike White was a fifth-round pick? He was a fifth-round pick out of Western Kentucky. Yeah, so then yeah. you just take a kid uh, out of Western Kentucky in the fifth round, and he, I mean, this is not going to be insulting to say, obviously doesn't have the same talent ceiling as is right. Zach Wilson, uh-huh. but he just he knows how to play now. And I think every Jet fan knows that. Mm-hmm. Every Jet fan knows that. We know that if Zach Wilson were to click, obviously, you know, he's a couple steps ahead of where Mike White is just because of the physical tools. But right now, Mike White gives the Jets by far a better chance to win on, on Sunday. So oh, yeah. they're going to ride with him, I think, the rest of the way, honestly. I don't, I don't think, unless Mike White really falls off the face of the earth here and has a couple weeks of just not being good at all, then I don't think we see Zach Wilson the rest of the year. And if the Jets do make the playoffs, I think it'll be Mike White again. I I don't see a reason why not. The stats really speak for themselves with White in as well. I mean, you take look just look at a guy like Garrett Wilson, a guy you drafted highly this year and you expected a lot from and you had a lot from him when Joe Flacco was a starting QB back when Zach Wilson was hurt to start the year. He disappears during Zach Wilson's tenure this season. Yeah. And then two games with Mike White. He is an absolute beast. Yep. Eight for one sixty two against the Vikings. And then you got Corey Davis who a lot of people forgot he was on the Jets' offense because yeah. he wasn't really getting targeted. Five yep. for 85. And Elijah Moore, obviously, mm-hmm. you had the whole side with him where he literally said, I'm not getting the ball. I don't want to be here. He requested a trade. Um, so, obviously, Zach Wilson did not have the locker room on the same page, but Mike White does. So, I mean, again, it's just a revelation for the Jets. Um, and it's all about if the defense can continue to play at this, like, ungodly level, which I don't expect them to. I expect them to be one of the better defenses in the lead the rest of the way. Um, but obviously, you know, they'll have their, their hiccups here and there. So You mentioned a bad day for the defense earlier on, too. You limited Justin Jefferson to 45 receptions. Well, and they only gave up seven points in the second half, so they were better. And that's seven receptions for 45. Like, yeah. He really it, didn't it get did. anything after and DJ, you It know, looked like it was going to get out of hand there at first, uh, so I, at like right. the end of the first it half. Was 20 to three. It was 20-3. Yeah. It was 20-3. to three. Zerline hits the 60-yard the field goal. New franchise record, by the way, for <laughs> Greg the lead. Um, so, yeah, I think the Jets played a very good second half. Defensively, I think... You know, you looked at the the tandem of Sauce and DJ Reed. Uh, they were throwing both of them on Jefferson. So they've got two guys that you can potentially throw on a team's top receiver. Uh, the defensive line continued to be great. Um, they've got one of, I don't know if you guys even know who this is, but 
They have one of the most underrated edge players in the league, Bryce Huff, undrafted a couple years ago out of Memphis. Look up his numbers. He's third right now with, uh, amongst pass rushers with over 100 pass rush snaps in uh, QB pressure rate, 18.6%. Um, I think he's got four or five sacks this year, and he doesn't get a ton of reps. He's not even a starter. He's a rotational guy, but he has been incredible. Um, I think I know a lot about him, but he's the guy that got the strip sack on Josh. Yes, yep, ago, he right? is. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, uh, the, the front seven continues to be fantastic. I think the Jets' defense is is at a place where they can legitimately carry them through the rest of the year, even if Mike White isn't as great as he was in that first game. Yeah. Um, I think this is a team that, you know, has a chance with this defense to make the playoffs regardless. So. Two things before we move on from the Jets, and Connor, you can hop in at any point. I do want to talk to you about the Jets' rushing attack, and you mentioned Bam Knight a little bit in there. Yeah. He had 15 for 90 in the last win, but a guy you picked up in James Robinson was supposed to come in yes. and get a bulk of the carries, four carries, 10 yards, and you have Mike White throwing the ball 57 times. Yeah. That's not ideal. And you want to see James Robinson with the talent you know he has, at least try and get to that stage. But what's yeah. your perspective I, on the rushing attack? I, I do think they have a better running back, though, that I think you're probably going to talk about. So, well, Michael, let me Car- ask you this. Do you think that Bam Knight is a better option than James Robinson in the rushing oh, attack? Oh, yeah, right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, they gave him a chance in preseason and he lit him up. And so he was kind of like a preseason darling, and everyone was like, he should make the active roster over, I think, Ty Johnson. Everyone was like, get him. And Ty Johnson isn't a bad player either. But mm-hmm. um, I think now with Michael Carter, who was hurt, now he's coming back this week. Yep. So you've got him, Bam Knight, Johnson, and James Robinson. James Robinson was a healthy scratch against the Bears. Yeah, so the NPM? I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, Robinson is good for those short yarded situations. I just don't really think he fits what the Jets want to do, honestly, because... You know, again, they like that, obviously, with Michael Ford coming from the Shanahan system. They like the multi-back kind of, you know, guys who can catch it and run it. They go with a lot of shotgun, a lot of sweep runs, a lot of outside looks. So James Robinson is more of an up-the-middle power type of guy. And that doesn't mean he's slow or anything. It just means in Jacksonville, when he had that great rookie year, a lot of what they were doing was off the guard, right, or up-the-middle um, not a lot of these to the outside, you know, with outside pull, zone, yeah. With, yeah, outside zone runs with like pulling guards and stuff. So, Steve wise, I think it's a little weird, uh, but I do like Bam Knight a lot. And he's shown that he can catch it out of the backfield as well. So, he's another weapon for Mike White to throw to. And he's been awesome these last two weeks. So, Mike White, last time he played the Bills, 24 for 44 with 251 yards, 54% from a completion percentage perspective, zero touchdowns, four interceptions, averaged about 5.7 per pass. What are you expecting from him this Sunday before we jump to the Bills? Yeah, I, the Bills are a little banged up defensively. So, I think. You know, some of the guys they had last year, especially on the back end, with like Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, um, guys who just made plays on the ball consistently. I think he'll be okay. The line has to do its job because if he's under consistent pressure, then I don't think it'll be it'll be pretty. He's aware enough in the pocket to where he'll keep them in the game. If he's constantly under pressure, like he won't just do a Zach Wilson where he just bobs it and then he gets picked off 50 yards down the field. He'll have the wherewithal to throw it into the dirt or throw it away. 
But uh, the if the offense isn't moving, we know that Josh Allen is is going to get points. And again, I believe in the Jets' defense. Did a great job against him last time. But you've got to be able to keep up with, with Diggs and Allen, period. Yeah, no doubt about it. You're looking for a better performance from Mike White this time around. And I think you will. I think he's definitely had a season to kind of reflect on that performance, tool his game a little bit, and hopefully he bounces back on Sunday. For the Bills, before we move on to the NBA, the Bills will play the Patriots last week on Thursday Night Football. They won 24-10 to over a Patriots offense that just did not look good. You had the whole outburst from Mac Jones on the sidelines <laughs> saying... Well, I can't say it on here, but if you saw the clip, you can read his lips perfectly. Fellas, before we move on, just I'm sure we all watched that live. Take me through your initial reactions to that Thursday night football game. Not much to debrief because I think we all expected the Bills to win, but take me through it. Yeah, I mean, it, for me personally, it, it really, I forgot this game even happened. Yeah, so <laughs> to, to be honest with you, but I, I think that's because we already knew what both these teams were coming into that Thursday night game. And then after playing it, they just proved that solidified, it, 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 solidified yeah. it even even more. I mean, the, the Bills, to me, um, I thought that they would be a little bit more um, dominant this year, like like kind of how the Eagles have played um, up to an 11-1 record. I mean, 9-3, you're still the head of, of the East there. You're the division leader. Uh, but the, the Patriots, though, I mean, wh- what do you expect when you don't have a offensive-minded coach as your offensive coordinator? You have Matt Patricia, who was recently fired as head coach from the Lions. Before that, he was a defensive coordinator for the Patriots. And Belichick, I, I guess, is just too prideful or to, to bring in an outside offensive mind to, to, to coach up the offense and instead went with a tag team of Joe Judge <laughs> and, and Matt Patricia. I mean, I mean, it's like dumb and dumber over there. So <laughs> Thursday night was really just a solidifying how I feel about both teams. And uh, it's nice to see, too, Josh Allen kind of rebounding from that little rough stretch that he had where he was throwing some bad picks. I think a lot of it had to do with injuries. So now he might be managing those injuries uh, better. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, bills are a wagon. The thing that puts this into complete perspective as well, the leading receiver for the Patriots was a defensive uh, back. Yeah, Marcus I mean, Jones. Are you kidding me? Mac Jones threw the ball 36 times and didn't surpass 200 passing yards. It's just, I completely agree with you. You can't expect good results out of that offense when those two are the guys that are you, you, that you brought in to kind of turn things around. And, you know, I, I think for the Bills, like, you look at them, and offensively, it's, it's kind of weird. Outside of Allen and Dids, there's not like a whole ton. I mean, there's James Cook and Singletary out of the backfield. Gabe Davis really has taken da- that step. Yeah, Gabe Davis is fine as a yeah. two, but I mean, you know, he's not somebody that defenses are overly concerned about. He'll exactly. be he's a deep threat, and you've got to watch out for that. But I think Allen is just out here kind of like running the gauntlet with, with Stephon Diggs right now. They're just like tearing teams apart so well it's funny you say that too because i was looking at the rushing stats and a guy who kind of broke out a little bit james cook there i believe it was a third or fourth round pick for the bills this past year and he had some fumble issues they tried to mix him into some of the drives earlier on in the season he didn't look great um had you know like i said some trouble protecting the ball but he had 14 carries for 64 yards to average almost five a carry with no touchdowns one more carry than their lead back in Devin Singletary well he, he also had sorry to interrupt you he also yeah. had six uh, receptions for 40 yards so yeah. I mean he had, he had 100 total yards he had a good day at the office and that was after really they hadn't used him all year long because they lost confidence in him when they saw that ball protection or the lack of ball protection earlier on in the year and so I'll pose this question to you two 
going forward, do you think they should use James Cook a lot more in the offense? I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they probably wanted to from the beginning of the season because I remember seeing him out there week one. Uh, but, you know, he's a rookie. Sometimes it takes rookies a little while to break in. You talk about those fumbling issues, too. Definitely as a young player, you're going to end up in the doghouse if, if you're fumbling the ball with your position coach. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to have a, a really good running back tandem, especially as you get deeper into the season. You know, Devin Singletary has taken a bulk of the carry so far this year. Now you got James Cook with some fresh legs down the stretch. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, who... If I had that option of having like a backfield like that, you know, you're, you're going to take it. And they have Naeem Hines to rely on if everything goes bad with Singletary and Cook. And he's another great receiving option, too. Exactly. So if one of those were to get hurt, you know, God forbid, you have him that you can rely on because they picked him up from the Colts at the <clears throat> deadline. Aaron, James Cook, he only played 44% of the snaps on Sunday, despite getting six receptions for 41 and 14 carries for 64 yards. I think it's a no-brainer, and I think, you know, if he does show the fumble issues again, if he can't protect the ball, at this point in the season, you can't really ride forward with him. But as you get to the later weeks of the season, of the regular season at least, yeah. I don't see, unless it's an insanely talented opponent, why you wouldn't ride the James Cook. No, I mean, I think, and I think McDermott is wise enough and creative enough to use him in spots where, you know, they'll play to his strengths, especially in the postseason. Obviously, just a rookie, but, yeah, I think especially what, Josh Allen brings as an extension of the run game. I think if you can keep defenses honest, like Connor talked about with both him and Singletary mixing them in uh, in different spots, I think, yeah, it'll kind of do wonders for, again, an offense that doesn't have a ton of high-end talent, uh, but they're getting it done. So and, and you mentioned he, he he only took 44 snaps? No, 44% of the snaps. Oh, 44, okay. Yeah, but it's still crazy to me. He didn't get over 50% of the snaps, and he made that much of an impact. Well, he the touched game. the ball 20 times. So, I mean, that, that tells you when, when James Cook is in, the coaches yeah. want to get the ball to him. Yeah, he's on my dynasty team, so I'm desperately looking for a breakout James Cook. Uh, this, this isn't a fantasy season. football I know. Podcast. All right, I know. all right, pal. I had it was weird. I had the dilemma with myself: Do I start James Cook over Jeff Wilson? I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. It's not there yet. But with that being said, we'll move on from our NFL part of the episode right on over to NBA before we close out with the MLB and a lot of free agency signings in the past week. But let's start with the NBA, a league that's kind of. Uh, held stagnant for the past few weeks, only 24, 25 games into the season. And so we'll start with the Philadelphia 76ers and move on to the New York Knicks. The Sixers sit exactly at 500 at 12 and 12 on the season. 24 games in with a surplus of injuries. They haven't had the consistency they would have liked. Harden just came back. Uh, Joel Embiid's been battling some injuries. Maxi still isn't back yet. And at this point in the year, you have a lot of leeway, but you have to start thinking with the Celtics, how they're dominating the East. They look terrific. Blew out the first-seeded Suns the other night by almost 50-plus points. The Bucks are always going to be the Bucks, and now the Cavaliers emerge in the East, led behind Donovan Mitchell and that young core. Will the 76ers, if they don't get this together soon, be able to contend with those top three teams in the East? I don't think they're as good as them right now. Um, now, fully healthy, Harden, Matsy, and B, that's a big three that I think you could probably, in a playoff series, say that they do have a chance to compete. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the team that I would be scared of the most, um, I mean, it, it, may, it may be obvious, but I, Boston just looks Unbelievable. Un- unbeatable. They look so incredibly 
just insane defensively. You haven't skipped a beat. The Malcolm Brogdon pickup was just fantastic. Tatum and Brown are on a tear right now. And then Milwaukee, too. You got to realize that Giannis is still right there. It just got Chris Middleton back. Right. And, I mean, yeah, Grayson Allen has been a surprise this year for them. He's really kind of stepped up big time, having his best year. And then Cleveland, I like them a lot. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is just awesome. And, you know, with them, it's like they've got so many guys that can hurt you. And Mobley is is fantastic. Off the bench, they've got guys who can hurt you. Tarrant loves shooting 40-foot threes again and just thrilling them. That's uh, so odd to me, too. Kevin Love has turned into, like, such the, the prototypical, like... New just, age big man. Just stretch yeah. for, man. Yeah. I mean, he just launches those things. But he's shooting them at a good, a good percentage. He's, like, European now, you know? Yeah, like, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Cavs are really good. And, obviously, the Letcher are still going to be a, a challenge with KD. So, yeah, the Sixers need to get healthy. But I also think they need to, to kind of figure something out defensively, uh, I think, as well. And just how you're going to match up with a team like the Celtics or the bots. Before I throw it to Connor, I do want to point out that the 76ers are a much better offensive team in the sense that they move the ball so much better and so much more fluent when James Harden's off That's, the court. Yeah. It's awful. The first game James Harden came back, I believe it was 4 for 19 for the night from the field. The offense, That was against the Rockets, right? Against the Houston Rockets. Yeah, and his old building. <laughs> the offense looked as bad as I've ever seen it in double overtime. Like, no one wanted to see that game go into two overtimes, but it did. James Harden, I love you, man. But you can do more on that court than just take it to the top top of the key, dribble around for 17 seconds, and throw up a three-point. That's, who, that's who James Harden is. Uh, I, I was, that's who he is. Yeah, I was about to say, you're going to ask me the question. I, I want to ask you a question. I mean, what did you think you signed up for? This this has been James Harden's <laughs> MO since I he get it. got to Houston back in the day. I get it. But at some point, you have to be coachable when you have a star big man on that team and a second star guard. You're not playing iso ball and you have P.J. Tucker and Jeff Green around you. It's not that anymore. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Uh, I just don't feel like that's how it works, though. Yeah, with, with, with Harden, NBA he's players. so ball dominant. He can't play within an offense. The offense is him. I know. It's him and Embiid. It's, and, and, and if Embiid takes that back so, step, I'm not mad about that either. If Harden can start to facilitate to these guys, yeah, I'm fine with well, that. Well, I don't... Okay, so I'll be completely transparent. I don't watch a ton of the Sixers. So, like, is it a lot of two-man stuff with him and Embiid, or is it just like... Well, him and Embiid haven't had a lot of time on the court together, but when he is typically there, it's a lot of two-man stuff. Yeah. When he came back, at least in the Houston game, and they'll play um, the Lakers tonight at the time of this recording on Friday. Yeah, he, It's just not even anything. And that's what frustrates me so much. It's just guys running around setting off-ball screens. Well, where's Matsy? Bat- he's still hurt. Uh, okay. So he's still out. And Bede's kind of iffy back and forth with his health. But I'm pretty sure Harden and Bede are, supposed, are both supposed to play tonight. <sighs> There's got to be more that you can do besides dribbling the shot clock out and shucking up a three. Like, that was the game plan in the final moments. And I get it. you got to give it to James Harden. You have to, but he's. It just has to be a different game plan if you're Doc Rivers too. I mean, you have to use Harden the way he's supposed to be used, I, I, but everything in moderation. I feel like with Harden, I think the coaching is the problem, right? It's I mean, so would you agree? Better without those two, he looked better without Embiid and Harden. I, but like the thing is too, though. Like I, I, I actually think you make actually a good point, kind of to what I'm about to say. Without those two guys, but when you have two guys like Embiid and Harden, you're not really coaching anymore at that point. I mean, you obviously are. You, you're, you're you're scheming up some sets. But there's only so scouting. much you can do. Yeah. There's only so much you can do. And a lot of that is just yeah. managing ego and, and, and kind of keeping the guys gelled together. And to me, James 
Harden has been one of those guys that's been kind of known to break apart some relationships, yeah. you know, and, and I'm not saying that he's going to do it here. There, there has been no like reports about Harden being a bad teammate yeah. or anything like that in Philadelphia. I just really think a lot of the frustrations that, that you're, you're, you're kind of vocalizing right now, it's, it's kind of what you guys deserve because this is exactly like the type of player that you're getting. And, and you see that it, it, it takes players who get to this certain level so long to change. Russell Westbrook probably should have been coming off the bench <laughs> three seasons ago yeah. If, yeah. if we're keeping it honest and, yeah. and should have stopped shooting three pointers about three seasons ago. And he still is. Now he's at this point where well, he, he's coming off the bench. Know, he's played right all of a sudden. Yeah, he's playing all right, so, but like still yeah, he's not great on, on defense or anything okay. like that. But you know what I mean? And I'm, yeah. I, I love Russ. I mean, the, what he did was ridiculous averaging uh-huh. a triple double for the season, but he, he's another guy like that who's just ball dominant and needs the offense to yeah. fully re- revolve around him. I would love to say, you know, James Harden, figure out a way to incorporate yourself into a, you know, a motion offense, one that's moving the ball, doing all these little things, but I don't it's probably not going to happen. It's not going to happen, especially yeah. at his age now, too, But honestly, he's not going to do a lot of the dirty stuff. He was willing to take a pay cut, so I mean, like, you'd figure that a guy like that, you know, who made the decision at that point in his career would maybe be willing to fit more to the steam of the offense, but... I also got to play more. Yeah, I think that's yeah, actually well, probably... I, well, I mean, they too. obviously do need to get healthy, but, I mean, last year in the playoffs didn't look great. Yeah. yeah. So, that's why I brought up the surplus yeah. of injuries, too, because they don't have a lot of games under the... I mean, we're only 24, 25 games in the season. They've been hurt for half the year, the yeah. core three of Embiid, Maxi, and Harden. And you made a good point there as we move on from the Sixers, but Harden, he took a pay cut to bring P.J. Tucker in, a guy who could play good defense and space the floor at least a little bit for a corner three if you needed it. You've got a guy like DeAnthony Melton who comes in who can shoot the three ball and play great defense. What's the common denominator here? You bring in guys that Harden can pass to for the three. Maxi has improved his three-point shot due to Sam Cassell working with him. Why wouldn't why wouldn't we be eager to try and, as Connor said, do a motion offense and move the ball around much more? I don't know, well, but you if you're the Sixers... Did you have James Harden on your team? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, especially, you're you're going to keep on running in the circle. <laughs> it really is a question to him because like you come to this team with a second star knowing you need help. And by the way, it made me thought about it or think about it as well. Russell Westbrook and James Harden were on the same team together and not bad. It was well. It was okay. James Harden wasn't James it's, Harden. Yeah, yet. and that was that was not a yet. while ago too. That, that was no like on the Rockets. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, that's yeah. that's I true. About that. That's true. Yeah, on the Rockets. Um, but no, I, yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't go great. Obviously, yeah. but, uh, James Harden and Chris yeah. Paul tried. That they got the closest. They got yeah. a game away from the finals, but it's just so frustrating. I don't want to talk about it all day, but they have to make some sort of decision about yeah. the offense soon when they get these guys back because it's it's not going to cut it, and they're going to realize that soon. The fans are. Not and it's happen. been the same thing year after year after year. You're wasting Joel Embiid's and he's not years here. Up. He's not. I mean, he's not going to be like this at 34, 35 with his durability. I mean, if he is, all, all power to him. That that would be awesome. But well, moving I don't on, think so. the Knicks sit at 12 and 13, right Ugh, behind the Philadelphia yeah. 76ers at ninth in the West. And so it's not a great look for them so far. But they're not out of it by any stretch. I mean, Jalen Brunson so far has been a nice signing. Julius Randle got some revenge on uh, Trey Young a few nights ago, and so it, it's a decent position for them to be in, but something's lacking here, whether it's the coaching, and you're shaking your head over there, Aaron. Oh, man. At what point does New York move on from Tom Tom Thibodeau, and do you think they're looking to make any moves to the deadline? They have a huge salary cap after signing Brunson, too. I I think they're definitely going to shake up the roster. Uh, I think Derrick Rose is on the trading block now. I don't think officially, but he's out of the rotation. Miles McBride, they're getting him some minutes now. Love Grimes, man. 
Yeah, what well, Grimes is fantastic. I think he's got a chance to be special. Yeah. Really, I mean, he did. Last winter break, I grinded like a uh, NBA 2K season. Yeah. And I just had Grimes on it. Yeah. I, I threw up his potential to like 99 and all that stuff, and I, I won. I won like seven straight. He's NBA not. He's not. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, mean, I think I had COVID or something. So I was like, all right, t- time to yeah. be a uh, uh, pretend GM for a couple days. Yeah, dude. Oh, my leads were fantastic back in the day. Um, don't don't play two as much anymore. Really, I'm saving up for the PS5, but that's another story. Um, Quinn Drives. I think he's got like shades of almost like a Clay Thompson, right? I mean, the, it, the it, way he plays on both ends of the floor is like it just it's he's so words. solid. It, he's it so is. solid. But like, the, yeah, you're right in the way that he kind of how he moves, and he's got a quick release. It's just yeah, he's so yeah. he's so smooth, man. Uh, love Quinn Drives, but yeah, I mean Cam Reddish uh, is basically out of the rotation now. They're, they've been looking to shop him, so I think the Nets definitely do make a change, but I just don't know if it'll be en- enough with, with Thibodeau. I think there's stuff here that's deep, deeply rooted with, with Thibodeau. What, you know, I mean by that is like, you have your number three overall pick from, from three years ago, who he, he, I'm sorry, he can't be himself with, with Julius Randle here, and it's not even that much of a knock on Julius Randle. Because he's actually been playing half Because, you know what? He was, he really wasn't good last year. No. He went back to, to the way he was his first year here. This year, he has been better. He's had some more efficient shooting performances. He's had some bitter games. He's hit some mid shots. I'll give it to him. Although he hasn't been great, I think he's been a good player this year. But it, it just can't work. It really can't. So, like, you've got a lot of issues to figure out. And on top of that, I know they've been good defensively the last couple of games, but this is a guy you hired to be a defensive yeah. stalwart, right? You hired him to have what you had his first year here, the shortened season. One of the best, if not the best defense in the NBA. They are not a good defensive team. They're I, not. I'm pretty close on there with, you know, jumping the boat. Yeah. Um, but, like, my thing is we're still, like, early on into the season, and this is not even saying what we don't know about Tom Thibodeau as a head coach because we, we kind of know what he is, defensive-minded guy. Their past two games have been really impressive uh, wins. I mean, they've held both opponents to under 90 points. That includes the Cavs only letting them score 81, 89 against the Hawks. And, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I kind of want to see how they build on that. I, I, I want to see if, it, if it's fluky or not before. Because yeah. 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 I'm almost there with, with Thibs, too. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I'm not the biggest fan of them. I, I think he's been kind of an outdated head coach now uh, for, for, sure. for several years now. For I mean, sure. you saw what happened in Minnesota, and now you see guys like Andrew Wiggins really, you know, springing into his own. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler is still playing well. Um, Thibodeau, to me, is, is a bit outdated. I do want to give him some credit, though, just because of those last two wins. Yeah. Coming against, like, yeah. some tough opponents, no, especially it's, the Cavs. I mean, the Cavs, no Jared Allen and no DeAndre Hunter last night, I think, for the Hawks. And they were missing John Collins, too. So, I think, you know, there you can maybe change with a little bit. Yeah. I, I, no, but they have been better in the last yeah. few days, for sure. And, and DeJounte Murray did get hurt in that next game, too. So, yeah. you were practically just down to Trey. Mm-hmm. Right. And honestly, I think at this feeling, that I have right now is just the happiness of Trey losing after wearing those those sneakers. I, he is so annoying. Wait, wait, I don't yeah. hate athletes because I want to go into this industry. He he's the closest. Trey Young. Yeah, he, he I makes mean, my blood. That guy to that I didn't talk. What shoes sure. did he wear? He wore some uh, his his Adidas whatever shoe in Nick colorway. Yeah, and then it, I forget exactly what it said. It said on something it. about Odin Lab or something, like that. <laughs> oh or like it, it's good yeah. to be home. Yeah. That's that's 
<laughs> just classic right Trey Young right there. And that's the one thing we can agree on as well. Just hating that man. Yeah. Well, he also didn't show up to his, his team's game the other day. The the, the shoe said King of Broadway. But, um, oh my god! He also didn't show up to the game the other day for for his teammates when he was out with injury. Which you know, most of the time you you see players, you know. Yeah. Well, let's discuss that because there was a little altercation between him and the coaching, and a reporter was just nailing it into him. Uh, I, I don't know, I think it was a practice press conference, mm-hmm. I believe, and he would not stop just asking. You know, it's typically normal for guys that are injured to sit on the sideline. Why weren't you there after a fight like that? Blah, blah, blah. And he just kept pushing into him. And Trey said, hey, man, it's private. Yeah. And I respect Trey's response because, you know, whatever happened, it's not anyone's information besides the teams to figure out. Um, but it is a weird look to see him do that. Something has to be going on. Yeah, there. no, I, there is. There, I saw something that said, like, kind of the higher ups in the organization. Um, and I think that even includes, you know, like the coaching staff. Uh, it was worded like they don't see him as fit to, like, be a... Uh, you know, a leader for the team right now or something like that. So I think there is some like immaturity stuff for sure. I don't want to assume anything, but yeah, I think from what we've seen in the past and you know, what we know about him, I think that, that certainly could be a, a possibility. So, and if he's not, then DeJounte, by the way, DeJounte Murray isn't exactly humble yeah, either. Yeah. So, you know, it's two pieces, two, two great there. players for sure. But yeah, they, they like to talk. So no doubt about it. And that's really what it was like when they first got that playoff run. Um, you know, they took, down the Knicks, and then they took down the Sixers. Obviously, yep. lost to the Bucks, but just not a great look for the Atlanta Hawks right now. Before we move on from our NBA segment, I do want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets a little bit. They sit two games above 500 at 14 and 12, but it has not been smooth sailing for them really all season long. Now led by Jack Vaughn, uh, or I never know how to pronounce it. Jacques, like Jacques Vaughn. Jacques Vaughn. <laughs> Jacques. Um, they've narrowly edged out the uh, Hornets the other night, 122 to 116. They taken down by the Celtics, 103 to 92, which isn't the worst worst loss considering the role the Celtics are on and I'm not quite sure what their identity is myself I don't know if you guys have any opinions but they're fourth in the Eastern Conference and the separation from one two and three to four is big because it's the Cavs at three and then the Nets who are two games above 500 at four but you have Ben Simmons who's still nagging with injuries he should be coming back tonight for the Nets but he's been in and out of that locker room Kyrie we know the problems he's had this season and KD hasn't looked like the KD uh, we're typically used to aside from that 45 I believe point game or 55 point game he dropped a few weeks ago. And so what is the Brooklyn Nets identity? Is Jacques, is Jacques Vaughn going to lead them to what they're supposed to be in their true ceiling? I, I know everyone's looking to see it, but at what point does this team explode? I, I think with Katie there, they're always going to be in at least a spot where they know that it's just dead in, right? Just find a way to scratch yeah. and claw through the regular season, whatever may go on. But if you get to the postseason and you have Katie there, uh, you at least have a fighting chance. So, you know, for them right now, it's, I think, as far as he can take them. And again, I, you know, you've done contributions from guys like Nick Klatson, who this year the numbers have inflated, and he'll always be a nice defender. Seth Curry, obviously, is a shooter. You get Royce O'Neal, who's been, you know, solid 40% from three, and then Joe Harris as well. You know, I, Ben Simmons is like, God, he's just, I don't even know. I, I, he almost like feels irrelevant to this team, honestly. I mean, like, he's obviously a, you know, great defender. He'll chip in, he'll fill the, he'll stuff the stat sheet a little bit to, to Ben Simmons at, at Stead at least. Uh, and he'll be pretty efficient. He'll get most of his looks from right underneath the basket. So he's a player, but I mean, like, when Brooklyn brought him in, they 
kind of expected him to like be right there with Kyrie and KD kind of running the show a little bit or at least you know being defensively maybe a little bit more I don't know he's just kind of maybe like taking a little bit of a bad seat which uh, obviously when you make to swap like that giving up that much for him you, you would you would want a little bit more yeah I mean their hand was kind of forced in that trade on both sides we know that um, so it, whether they wanted Ben Simmons or not they got Seth Curry along in that deal as well which helps their shooting but it's not a huge addition when you're giving up a guy like James Harden yeah. but probably beneficial to the Nets because of the Sixers talk we were mentioning before about how Harden just limits the offense in his truest form if they're going to run the offense in that iso ball that he runs and so you thought that maybe this move would help them out a little bit more help space the floor all right, moving on to our Major League Baseball segment as we talk about free agency and a wild week after the winter meetings in San Diego. A lot of talk around Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, Aaron Judge, or as John Heyman likes to refer to him as Arson <laughs> Judge. And we'll start with Arson Judge. He returns to the New York Yankees on a nine-year, $360 million contract. Aaron, take me through it. What's your initial reaction? Yeah. I'm sure you're ecstatic. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it was the deal that really, you know, held up the entire market. Uh, everyone was waiting for it. And yes, my heart did fall into a, uh, a pit of despair when I saw that Heyman tweet at first. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I was like, it's over. It's like, it's over. We're, mm. yeah, this is not gonna be fun next year. Uh, was my first thought. Was like, I, I, I immediately think they had to like opening day. And I'm like, I'm just gonna be sitting there miserable when they're down like seven to one to the Rays. And well, actually, they'd, they'd be playing the Giants. Okay. Day. Okay. So that oh, been even oh worse. okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that would have been even worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, deserve 40 million a year. I had no problem with it for Judge. So yeah, they bring him back. And as long as he's here, they've got a shot. Uh, they need to add another starter, need to fill some of the holes in that lineup. So they better not be done yet. But this was obviously the big one to, to get out of the way. So. Yeah, it's a nice signing and one that the Yankees fans were looking for for a while. And, and now, so I heard the Padres offered more. I think they offered $400 million, so Basically, but every I guess, one of those. I guess with agents. the. People were saying with the California income tax, yeah. it would equate to 360 anyway, so it was mm-hmm. basically the same deal. The Yankees just, I just gave them another year. Yeah, I mean, it was a must sign if you're the Yankees, and they got it done, but for a little bit there, when Cashman re-signed himself to a three-year extension, it was looking it's looking like that was he the was biggest He was saying some deal. stuff. He was like, well, you know, this offseason may have some roads will go down that weren't expected. I was like, what? What are you uh, talking about, dude? And uh, didn't Judge not talk to Cashman? Um, didn't he talk to Hal Steinbrenner? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Wasn't he the one who, like, initiated that final he like closed the deal yeah because to be honest like the last couple of days leading up to the this signing it I, I felt more and more like Aaron Judge was going to leave the Yankees just based on some of the reporting that was coming out. Uh, there was one report saying that um, the Yankees weren't sure if they were going to be able to match the last offer that it, that was made to Judge. Like, that wasn't clear yet. So, like, it, to me, all, like, signs were kind of pointing towards, you know, him leaving. But, you know, at the end of the day, they get the deal done. Yeah. Sign him up. Arson Judge. John Heyman, you are a uh, war criminal for what you did. You, you made so many other fan bases so happy mm-hmm. for only about three minutes before you realized your mistake, but we're all human, so you, you get a pass, but uh, not too many. It was a great midweek news blunder by John Heyman to really stir up Twitter and a lot of social media platforms, but I mean, there's not really much to talk about us, uh, with the Aaron Judge situation aside from he's back and Yankees fans are extremely happy, so uh, we talked about this a little bit on the early bird Monday, but Jacob deGrom, he leaves the New York Mets to sign with the Texas Rangers on a five-year, $185 million contract, I believe, uh, if not at right at, right at 185 and so we have a New York Mets 
Mets fan right here to my left and Connor Brown. And you guys did rebound signing Justin Verlander. Before we get to that, though, uh, just talk to me about Jacob DeGrom after, you know, now at this point, the presser is behind us and he's officially a Texas Ranger. Yeah, I mean, it really made me sad, man. It sucks to have your, you know, franchise player, a guy that you've, you've really rooted for, for, you know, the past decade on a team that until recently wasn't a serious contender. And now I'm in this weird spot now where I'm still really happy about this direction of this team overall. Uh, I do think that we have the, the right owner in there who's willing to spend like the Yankees, not like the Kansas City Royals. So, I mean, stuff like that I'm happy about. But even when they signed Verlander, I, I wasn't, I'm obviously very excited to have Verlander. But when we signed him initially, I didn't excite me too much just because you're giving a guy who's 40 years old, 40 million, over 40 million a year to hopefully pitch for you and not, not have any injury concerns or anything like that that catches up with you as you get older. But that's why I thought the Mets didn't offer as much money to Jacob DeGrom because of his age and, and also his his injuries over the past couple of years. It really annoys me how the Mets didn't offer the Verlander deal to DeGrom because all the reports are coming out. It seems as though the Mets were lowballing DeGrom, which obviously didn't want to make him stay here. And, yeah. and he he's already he was an old he was already older when he when he was a rookie. I, I believe he's he started pitching in the big leagues at like 26 or 27. So he was due to make this money. You know what I mean? Because he had to go through the, those years of you know arbitration, mm-hmm. uh, not being the you know clear number one on that staff. I mean, when he, when he was coming up with the Mets in, the, in that World Series run, you had guys like Matt Harvey, Norris. Syndergaard. I mean, the, the, those two guys were, were touted the aces over DeGrom, but DeGrom was just slow and steady through that and then just burst through for those Cy Young years that he had. But yeah, I mean, just really to wrap it up, I, I will also talk about the, the Mets re-signing Brandon Nimmo, which was a really good signing, I thought, too. I I, I mean... That's a must-do after losing DeGrom. You exactly. I mean? You can't lose another homegrown talent like that. Yeah. That, is, that is kind of, you know... A guy like Nimmo might not be the most talented guy, but he he's a fabric, you know, a part of the DNA of, of the New York Mets. So keeping a guy like that around is good. Uh, David Robertson, you know, he's had a long, good MLB career. Had some shaky spots, definitely last year in the postseason for, for the Phillies. He did come through in, in some situations, though. Yeah, I mean, the Mets just need some more relief pitchers as well. They also signed uh, Jose Quintina oh, yeah. to a two-year deal as well, which I like as well. He was pretty good for the Cardinals last year. He, yeah. he had a surprising ERA uh, that I saw coming over from the Pirates, I believe he was traded to them from. Um, that's a pretty good signing for you. Uh, you know, you pick up Verlander, you get Quintana and it's you're starting to retool a little bit after losing that one key piece which is definitely beneficial because yeah it seems like this hangover is going to last forever on DeGrom you guys are really I mean they, they played well without him all of last year they did uh, and up, you're accruing the, the talent back very fastly so you know if your aces are 38 and 39 whatever you know it, it is what it is it's more of a personal thing than yeah, it is you don't an actual have to worry about it. on the field thing when it comes to DeGrom and, and stuff like that that, yeah. that that's really what it is you don't want to have to worry about those guys you know falling apart later on in their contracts and I you know, they're still short too Scherzer's not in a long deal Verlander's not in a long deal so it gives you enough flexibility I like what the Mets are doing a few more pieces to be added but Robertson can be a seventh to eighth inning guy in the right situations Nemo know about his sprint to first base the fans love him so that was huge and then Verlander uh, a nice ace probably the second best pitcher on the market to bring in aside from DeGrom and so that's always a nice deal and then we'll close off the entire episode and our MLB segment with the Philadelphia Phillies they made two big moves this past week signing Trey Turner to an 11 year three $300 
million contract. And then Taiwan Walker, former New York Mets starting pitcher to a four-year $72 million contract. Also signed a few other guys. Took uh, Noah Song in Rule 5 draft. He's enlisted in the Marines or Navy right now. Nice week for the Phillies so far. They get that much-needed fourth starter that could be a three at his ceiling. I was shocked that Trey turned down more money from the Padres. And I know the whole California state tax thing, and um, that's always factored into it. And the Phillies seem to be favored, but it seemed like the Padres, with all of the rumors pointing towards them and the money they were offering, were going to get him. I went back and just kind of looked at some like you know reports surrounding uh, Trey Turner. And even when he he left Washington to go to uh, Los Angeles, apparently he, he wasn't too happy about that. He's and an East Coast boy. He's an East Coast boy. So I, I mean, I to me it just makes sense that he wanted to come back to the East Coast. I think his wife is from around here, yeah, at the least, Jersey area, like the Philadelphia uh, South Jersey area. So yeah, I mean it definitely made sense, and especially if you look at you know kind of the team that you're going to be coming into, a team that was only you know two game two wins away from a World Series championship and they're going to be out Bryce Harper for for a while there as, as he's undergoing Tommy John he's going to miss you know part of the season but I mean it, it's the perfect situation to go into if you're Trey Turner you get back on the east coast you're in a contending team on a team that is also willing has, has the ownership that's willing to spend that money as well to me if I was Trey Turner that, that that's a no-brainer yeah and it's weird too because you mentioned the Mets now have an owner that's willing to spend money it's the same owner for the Phillies he just something clicked as soon as he saw that postseason baseball and he spent money last year to bring in Castellanos um, and obviously Schwarber and years prior signing Real Muto, Wheeler, etc. Harper. Um, but he is starting to go well over the luxury tax after seeing what the postseason in Philadelphia can look like. And you have to love it. If, if you're Philadelphia fans, I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan myself, and I am, I'm absolutely ecstatic about it. And you didn't even get the best from Nick Castellanos. If you can get him to start producing at even half the rate he produced in 2021, that's an absolute win. I mean, the power was clearly there. So it makes the lineup so much deeper. Um, and it's a very nice signing, especially when you can move Bryson Stott from shortstop to second base. Sadly, you have to let Gene Segura go, but that's not finalized quite yet. We'll see if they want to move things around. Reese Hoskins could still be on the trade market, so they're not done yet, but as far as big tickets go, it's it's just Trey Turner and Taiwan Walker, and we'll close off with Taiwan Walker, a guy who struggled a little bit to start his career as far as injuries go. Came up with Seattle, was a highly touted prospect, but a nice signing to give him four years, $72 million. Jamison Tyon went to the Cubs for just $4 million less. What's your overall reaction of this signing as a Mets fan, seeing Taiwan leave and uh, the bargain, I guess you could say, or not bargain that the Phillies got him at? Well, definitely just kind of reaffirm my beliefs, or I, I should should say not my beliefs, my worries in the Mets rotation because now there's there's a lack of just disguise there now with Taiwan Walker gone, uh, but also that the age with your two top you know aces being Scherzer and Verlander being old as you know what I mean they 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 were teammates back in Detroit which I feel feel like I was seven years old back then I mean I've, I was older than that but not that, by that, much <laughs> that, that's how that's how long ago it was yeah. Taiwan Walker though really nice story um, struggled in the second half last year wasn't quite the the, the same guy since he made that all-star appearance last year mm-hmm. with, with that amazing first stretch that he really had. Like you said, he is definitely going to be your number four, and I, I think he'll, if he pitches well, I know you have Suarez right there yeah. in the three, but a, a Taiwan Walker to me is more of a three than he is a four. To me, five. Taiwan Walker is more of a three than Suarez is, Yeah, if you get what I'm saying. And he's also got more years as a starting pitcher under his belt than Suarez does because yeah. he started as a reliever. So, I mean, yeah, that's another really just good signing for the Phillies. A, a glaring need. They needed someone who could back up Nola and Wheeler because if you get into those you know postseason games again, you don't want to have a bullpen game. You know what I mean? Three innings of Noah Syndergaard and then Joe Schmo. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the Phillies really just probably hit it out the park better than any team this offseason when it came 
the free agent signings. You know, there, there might have been some quote unquote bigger names landing elsewhere. Obviously, with Judge going back to New York, Degrom leaving the Mets, and then the Mets rebounding and, and making some moves. But still, to me, it has to be the Phillies, king of the MLB offseason so far. Yeah, coming off of that nice run, definitely a good look to sign a guy like Trey Turner, arguably the best shortstop in Major League Baseball, at least the best shortstop available on the free agent market. And they wrapped him up for 11 years, full no trade clause as they look to bolster their lineup and bolster their team in general in another push to make the World Series. That being said, that will just about do it for Connor Brown and I on Big Apple on Broad our second ever episode of Big Apple on Broad, a New York and Philadelphia professional sports podcast. I want to thank Aaron Hook for joining us here today. Nick Earnshaw last week or two weeks ago, actually, for joining us as our special guest. And of course, my co-host Connor Brown for being here with me today. Once again, you've been listening to Big Apple on Broad right here on Rowan Radio Sports. Thank you all for tuning in and have a great day. You've been listening to Big Apple on Broad with your hosts, Danny Ryan and Connor Brown. Make sure to tune in weekly for new episodes. You can find Big Apple on Broad and every Rowan Radio Sports podcast by searching Rowan Radio On Demand Sports wherever you find your favorite podcasts.